you know, if I would have applied myself, I could have gone to the NBA. You think so? Yeah, I think so. But it's just like, it's been done. You know, I didn't want to, <laughs> I was like, I don't want to be a follower. Hi, I'm Jason Concepcion. And I'm Shay Serrano. And we are back. We have a new podcast from Wondery. It's called Six Trophies. Woo! And it's the f-ing best. Each week, Shay Serrano and I are combing through all the NBA storylines, finding the best, most interesting, most compelling stories, and then handing out six pop culture themed trophies for six basketball related activities. Trophies like the Dominic. Toretto, I live my life a quarter mile at a time trophy, which is given to someone who made a short-term decision with no regard for future consequence. Or the Christopher Nolan Tenet trophy, which is given to someone who did something that we didn't understand. Catalina wine mixer trophy. Ooh, the Lauren Hill, you might win some, but you just lost one trophy. And what's more, the NBA playoffs are here, so you want to make Six Trophies your go-to companion podcast through all the craziness. Follow Six Trophies on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. Listen ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus. He turns, he fires for the win. He's got the bucket at the buzzer. Back to Bibby, has the open shot. Ladies and gentlemen, up on those feet, put those hands together. And we'll meet tonight starting five for your Sacramento. Welcome to the Kings Beat Podcast. I am James Ham, your Kings Insider for ESPN 1320 and the Kings Beat. Joining me, Mr. Brendan Nunes from the Kings Herald and the Kings Pulse Podcast. What's up, Brendan? Not much, James. Um, we're getting a handful of really good East Coast teams coming through Golden One Center, and it's been some pretty entertaining basketball. So I'm certainly not going to complain uh, getting the chance to watch guys like like Giannis, we get Jason Tatum, Jalen Brown. Next game, it's been a it's been a fun couple of last games. Yeah, and actually the Kings have played extremely well. I mean, they've split with uh, Boston. And, I mean, with uh, Milwaukee and Chicago. Uh, Chicago win was really solid, and now you're looking at. I mean, they went toe to toe to toe with the Bucks, and the Bucks. The Kings made some mistakes down the stretch, but the Bucks just hit every single shot it didn't matter who was playing defense who wasn't uh i mean they were just hitting everything down the stretch they were um i can't help but wonder a little bit how much of it also had to do with the kings hitting a lot of shots this is the most threes that they've made since acquiring sabonis it didn't feel unsustainable it's just like looking at the previous games that we've seen with this group they've been shooting really really bad so you know but like three of 11 from De'Aaron. De'Aaron shot 11 threes. That's ridiculous. Uh, DiVincenzo, four of eight. Davion, three of seven. I, I think that that duo was something that stood out to me. We got 31 points from them combined in Chicago. They each had 19 last night against Milwaukee. So it certainly helps when shots are going down. Yeah, shots are going down. So we're going to dive into the game where we've got some clips to run. Uh, we're going to talk about De'Aaron Fox's hand. We're going to talk about... Things like Trey Lyles and Davion Mitchell and Dante DiVincenzo. Um, but let's get to business stuff first. Uh, first and foremost, uh, if you're watching on YouTube, give us a thumbs up and hit the subscribe button down below. Uh, that will help us. Uh, number two, um, we just released uh, the Kings Beat Fire Nice, uh, but we went for a t-shirt uh, with summer coming up. 
So you can get that on the Kings Beat merch shop, which is again, uh, if you're if you got the email, you'll get the email with links and all that stuff. If you're uh, on YouTube, right down below in the description, you'll find a link to the merch shop. Um, these things are awesome and selling quickly already. Um, so that's cool. Um, let's see what else do we got. Uh, the off the record with the Kings beat virtual happy hour part four. Infectious, infectious disease control um that is set for next thursday a week from today uh so uh march 24th from 5 30 to 7 30 scott moke the incredible pa announcer from the sacramento kings will be joining the show and he's just like filled with stories just wild crazy stories which is always fun and uh hopefully everyone will enjoy that um, outside of that, make sure you're, uh, you subscribe to the King's Beat, um, and you get a premium subscription because that is the only way you get to go to the happy hour. And, uh, we're going to start, start locking episodes starting, we're going to start locking articles starting, uh, this weekend. Um, I, I mentioned it on Sunday Musings last week and we're going to start on Sunday. Uh, you're going to start seeing more and more things go behind the, uh, for premium subscribers just because we got to take care of our premium people. Uh, so jump on board. Um, outside of that, uh, let's see. Uh, James has slight health issues. Uh, I'll just warn people that it's been a rocky like week. Um, I'm having some issues with one of my legs, and it's nothing major. But uh, if I'm not producing as much content, uh, just keep that in mind, that I'm a little beat up and limping around pretty good. Um, Brendan has seen it. Uh, I almost, I almost missed a game last night which uh, I haven't missed a game in over a decade. So that will tell you. Uh, but I, I did show up. I, what did I get there? About 6.30, 6.35, Brennan? Yeah, I pushed you around in a wheelchair all day. It was great. No wheelchair. <laughs> no wheelchair. I do have my leg up, so you know people know. Um, and I, I'm going to have to get through tomorrow because tomorrow uh, I'm going to be on with, uh, with Casey on D-Lo and Casey from uh, 12 to 4. Um, filling in for uh, for Damian Barling, and so join us tomorrow on ESPN 1320, and you'll uh, you'll see me there for a good four hour stretch. We'll talk all kinds of sports, which I love, just so I, I can stretch my legs and talk baseball, talk uh, the ridiculousness that is the Oakland Athletics, uh, talk a little 49ers football, and then we'll delve into a bunch of Kings talk as well. Um, yeah. What's the conversation with your doctor like when he says, don't go to the game? Yeah, that would like, yeah, that that's not happening. <laughs> it's the same conversation I had with my wife. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah, the doctor said don't go, but I, I'll, I'll see you later tonight. I'm going. Yeah, that's what the conversation was like. There you go. Yeah. Yeah, I did have my leg up during post game, which you know I I like literally dragged a chair out in front of me and said Brendan was you know they made him fun of me because I had to put my leg up, um, and uh, anyway, it's kind of awkward because I I text one of the media relations because hey can you make sure Alvin knows I wasn't just being disrespectful and like lounging back in the middle of a of a post game because uh, I had to have my my leg up so anyway um, yeah I'll be fine I'll be fine people. Um, so let's get to it. Uh, Sacramento Kings lost to the Milwaukee Bucks, but man, Brennan, that was a hell of a game, hell of a game. Like from start to finish, it was like, huh, look at that. They're hanging tough. And well, 
they're still hanging tough. And, oh, we didn't see the third quarter-like implosion. Um, everything seemed really, really strong until the final few minutes when De'Aaron Fox, I mean, De'Aaron Fox, nine turnovers, um, worst turnover game of his career. And he hurt his, his uh, right hand. He hurt his right hand. I guess he ran into uh, Giannis Antetokounmpo in the first quarter. And uh, you could see it was bugging him the whole game. And I, I think he lost a little zip on some of his passes. I think he definitely did. You could see him kind of clenching and shaking it throughout the entire game. He hit it in the late first, early second, um, somewhere in that time frame. And, yeah, clearly seemed to be bothering all, all game. You know, like when they took him out with two minutes to go before the half, he went back into the locker room to get it kind of looked at or, or whatever they're you know, they're taking care of his hand prior to the break and give him a little bit more time to kind of see what's going on there and how he's feeling. So I think he was definitely bothered. He still ends the night with 21 and seven, um, you know, but yeah, not great efficiency. And obviously those nine turnovers hurt, but you did kind of have some other guys stepping up in this one. Um, you know, like you said, it was a close game against Milwaukee. The Bucks never had more than an 11 point lead in this one. And a very high-scoring game from both sides with the other guards on this roster outside from De'Aaron really impressing me. Yeah, I, I thought it was a fun game. I Like, in all honesty, like, if you thought they were going to beat the Bucks, um, then uh, hopefully you didn't bet on it because uh, that that's just a bad bet. The Kings versus—I mean, the Bucks are the, the champs, and they're really, really good. And they have, like— a couple of really unique players, you know, like Brooke Lopez that can shoot from anywhere on the court. Um, and, and it doesn't matter if you're draped all over him. He's so tall shooting the three ball. Uh, you got Giannis, of course. You've got Chris Middleton, who's a matchup nightmare, especially for uh, a team like the Kings. Um, you've got incredible defenders, you know, guys like Drew Holiday uh, that can really shut some guys down. I think we saw a little bit of, you know, De'Aaron Fox struggling a little bit to deal with, um, with Drew. Uh, but, you know, we talked about, uh, like, Fox went, what, 3 of 11 from 3, right? And I, I think his, uh, he hit most of those early. Clearly, his hand was bothering him uh, when it came to his shooting touch as well. And, uh, and I'll also say this, like, when you are used to being the guy who everyone expects to step up in a time and carry your team to victory, it's really hard to say, oh, I can't be that guy tonight. If you're going to be on the court, you need to be that guy. And I thought that they, the reason why they kept him out there for a lot, like throughout the fourth quarter, it was so Holiday was defending him and not defending one of the other players. And that was very clear to me. Like, And did De'Aaron make some mistakes? Yes, he made some mistakes. Um, and... You, sometimes you have to live with that, uh, you know, especially when it's a player who's been crushing it. That was his 17th straight game with 20 or more po points, and 10 of those points came in the fourth quarter uh, while he was trying to piece things together and, and hold his hand, you know. Like, I, I think that the Kings weren't specific about it, but I'm pretty sure that uh, that De'Aaron underwent x-rays at halftime and— uh, you know, they, they did clear him to come back in. I was surprised to see him warming up coming out of the third quarter, uh, coming into the third quarter. And, and uh, you know, I, I thought that there was a good possibility he would be out for the rest of the game. And, like, look, if if he broke a, a bone in that hand, he's done for the year. 
That's pretty clear. And that's not something the Kings need at this point. And it's not because I I think they need to win a bunch of games down the stretch. It's because you need to continue to build on what you're doing here. And uh, I, I think that's good, man. I, I think that we're seeing a lot of uh, positive, like very positive like things happening on the court. Um, you know, the offense is more uh, like it's, it's fun to watch. It's it's definitely different. And it, Brennan, you know, you talked about the three-point shot. Just this team, it showed you, I think last night showed you what this team looks like when they hit shots. Like they need to find those shooters to make sure they can hit shots going forward. Definitely do. You know, Milwaukee, like what popped off the, just what popped watching them to me was how active their hands were in passing lanes. And they have so much length, like between Drew, Giannis, Middleton, uh, if you want to throw a Wesley Matthews in there. like Even Bobby Portis. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Brooke Lopez. I mean, they have so many guys that when De'Aaron's trying to make a pocket pass or an over-the-top skip pass, like that just everybody's hands are in passing lanes. They're ready for it. And I think that that kind of bothered him a little bit there, especially down towards the stretch. Um, but they're also packing the paint, and this is where you have to be able to punish that by hitting shots, and that is what we saw again, 16 of 43, most threes since Sabonis has joined the team, and I think that, you know, it didn't feel all too unsustainable, like Dante 4 of 8 is, you know, better than expected, and you can't get that sort of production on a nightly basis, Davion 3 of 7, but you're not like, I don't think it's crazy to talk about hitting 14, 13 shots a game with this team, like, I think it's a little bit of a good night, but not in a crazy manner or anything like that. Like Harrison only converted, only added one made triple in this one. Um, Trey Lyles, two of five. I think that you definitely saw the benefit of just being able to hit shots because there's so many players that are able to drive to the paint and therefore suck the defense in and leave guys with a good bit of space and opportunity to catch in a spot up situation. And, yeah, when they're going down, it certainly makes this Kings offense look pretty solid. Like you said, they couldn't really get a stop on defense. And I came to realize that Milwaukee's defense is maybe not the, quite the same as it was last year, but they still are a really, really good defensive team. And it's impressive to put up 126 on them. Yeah, I, I was I was very impressed by the way that the, the ball hopped around for the Kings. Uh, I thought they did a really nice job of setting guys up. Uh, you talked about the 4 of 8 from DiVincenzo. Um, I thought only one of those was a little suspect, and it wasn't even that bad. He he probably shot a 27-footer, but he stepped out from—he uh, was behind a screen and kind of reset himself, and it just looked like, okay, that's probably not your best shot. And I don't think it was a true, like, off-the-dribble three. It was more of a, uh, like, play off a pick and then get your feet set and launch— um, and you know, but either way, like if you're hitting, you're hitting and I, I'm okay with him doing a heat check here and there. Davion Mitchell, uh, same thing. I'm okay with him. If he's hitting, I'm okay with him having a heat check moment. Um, so I, I think those were all good things. Um, I'll also say this, um, this has been a long season and Harrison Barnes has played major minutes and Harrison Barnes looks like he's running out of gas a little bit. And he's still being asked to guard like really good players, 
But uh, at the end of the day, you know, you're going to have moments like this from any player where they kind of have like it's the ebb and flow of a season where you have a down game or two where you're just not as active and, and your body's hurting and things are catching up to you. Uh, that's what it kind of feels like with Harrison. And uh, I'm sure he'll snap right out of it and finish strong. Uh, but that's that's something I would kind of keep an eye on. Just like we saw Davion go through like what maybe a two or three week stretch where you know, he really struggled and he either was ice cold or he hit everything and there was no middle ground and he was more ice cold than he was hitting everything. And that's usually a problem. So I think with Harrison, we're seeing it too. Just because he's a veteran doesn't mean that on occasion you don't run out of gas during a season, especially with all the changes and all the chaos uh, that have been the Sacramento Kings this year. Um, and, and that kind of, you know, like, when you have games where Harrison Barnes isn't that number one, I mean, that number that number three option, like, I, I think we saw some good things. I think Dante DiVincenzo and, uh, like, Davion Mitchell, like what you talked about, they, they combined for 38 points off the bench. Both of them had 19. I thought they are really good, and the Kings just need more of that. They need more activity from that group. And I think Terrence Davis will also help that. But, yeah, I, I did think that, you know, the productivity was was there from other players that, that kind of masked the fact that Harrison Barnes, I think he had 10 points. Yeah, and we see even more of this Fox, Mitchell, and DiVincenzo lineup, all of them sharing the floor out there um, alongside Sabonis. And last night it was actually Trey Lyles that ended up closing with them over Harrison, as you were kind of talking about there. Um, that three-guard lineup, I think that they move the ball really well. You know, Davion with four assists. I think we've seen DiVincenzo show some of his ability as a passer. And we're seeing their synergy, I feel like, grow with DeMontis Sabonis. Like, a lot of talk about the Fox and Sabonis pick and roll, understandably so. But, yeah, when Fox is having a little bit of an off night and drawing the defensive coverage of Drew Holiday maybe away from the primary action. Like we saw Mitchell and DiVincenzo able to run a little bit of a two-man game with Domas that I think is just going to keep growing over time. You know, like, in same as we saw in the Chicago game, like Sabonis feels like he's more vocal recently and you could see him kind of coaching up. I want to say it was Davion um, on just when he was given the entry pass to Domas and just the way the to cut and how how Sabonis can hit him with a pass from weird angles that you probably wouldn't typically expect or know unless you play with a guy like that and it's communicated with you. So I, I think that I've been really intrigued with that that three guard lineup. And it's kind of funny, like DiVincenzo post game was saying, you know, in that lineup, I don't know if me or Davion is the three. And like Davion was the one guarding Chris, Chris Middleton down the stretch against Milwaukee. Um, we've seen Dante would be my guess as the three to take on bigger assignments, but there's times that Davion's able to do it as well. And I think we're seeing it work. Okay. Better than I would have expected to be honest. Yeah. And I'll say this too. Like I don't usually go down this route every once in a while. I, I watch a game and go, my goodness, the officiating is bad. Um, last night's game was one of those where you're just like, holy cow. How many bad calls are you going to make? How many touch fouls are you going to call on one end and no fouls on the other end? Um, we had the Rashawn Holmes diving out of bounds, saving a ball, uh, that the official just was standing right there watching, lets it hit him, and then blows his whistle. And it was clear that like the replay shows very clearly that Rashawn Holmes saved the ball. 
Um, I thought that was horrible. Uh, and then the next possession, somebody stripped. I don't remember the players involved, but a Bucks player drove, got stripped by someone on the Kings. They called it a foul. Alvin challenged it, and it was successfully overruled. Overruled. I think it, was that. Uh, it was a fourth foul on. Was it on? Well, was that Sabonis or was I was thinking it was Metu, but I don't think so. Um, yeah, like there was, there were, and then the the play directly after that, uh, Middleton tried to go. He he caught the ball baseline and went to turn and fire, and Davion Mitchell clearly slapped the ball right out of his hands. It went off to Davion's leg and out of bounds, but they called a foul. Chemezi Metu had like four or five that just look like holy cow like what what in the world are you guys looking at there um and i thought metu played really well and metu has played pretty solid basketball over the last you know couple of weeks while he's he's trying to figure things out too um one of our main topics today we're going to get uh dive into um not to like end the conversation about officiating there's just nothing you can do about it i think i even tweeted out like i really hope that the nba has an eight minute report for this game because I thought like the final eight minutes was just trash. Like it was absolutely horrible. And someone uh, asked about this as well. Uh, they said, why do you think the officiating has been so bad? They, they asked me on Twitter, like this specific season. And first of all, I think Kings fans are always ultra sensitive about, about officiating. It goes all the way back to 2002 Western Conference Finals and feeling like you were ripped off. Um, that's, that's definitely you know something that I think Kings fans can't move past. Um, but there's also games like, you know, the Bucks game where you're just looking at it and it's, and it's so lopsided. It is so lopsided where one guy literally gets every single call and the other guys don't at all. I mean, Chemezi Metu got fouled so hard on a, on a breakaway where somebody slapped him in the face. You could see it hit him in the face and then rake down across his arms. No call. Late in the game, Sabonis went for a hook with his left hand was egregiously fouled across his forearm, just dragged down, no call. Kings got the ball with like 3.8 seconds on the clock, on the shot clock, and somehow Trey Lyles sneaks in for like a two-handed dunk. Um, so that didn't matter as much, but it's just the overall tone that you're watching. And just so people know, this season specifically, and I guess maybe last year as well, um, but this one specifically there has been a ton, a ton of turnover in referees and also a lot of referees that are being brought up because of the COVID situation. So, you know, the the referees got just buried. At one point, I think I think it was like 40% of the referees were out um, with, with COVID, were out in protocol. And they have the same protocol the players do, and they have to have all these tests and stuff. So we are seeing like a new crop of, of officials. Some of those officials, like they don't know how to handle themselves. I've seen that. There's been one one guy that um, has te- he's the one who teed up uh, De'Aaron Fox and tossed him out of the game early in the season. He, they're not figuring out how to like adjust. And I know even Fox yelled and screamed at an official and probably should have got two tees. Um, but you know, at some point you have to stand up for yourself when the calls aren't going your way. And that was early in the game. That's before we even got to like the final, the fourth quarter where I thought was just like horrifically bad. And they had a couple of like seasoned veterans, but also like some, like a younger official. Uh, there might've been two um, in that game. I, I I didn't go back and look. And uh, did you see what Reggie Jackson said about, uh, 
the official in the Clippers game? I did not. Oh, that that was not good. Like, um, I, I don't think I can find that. Uh, maybe if I could, let me give it two seconds. Um, he called out a female official um, during <laughs> during um, post game. Yeah, Natalie. Uh, yeah. Did you find it? I yes, I see. Uh, yeah, Natalie, and then somebody. Uh, yeah, we were doing everything we could. We tried. Their best player made it difficult on us tonight. Nat is great. Nat played amazing. Hats off to her and hats off to them. Yeah. And then, yeah. Literally talking about an official. I mean, we're talking about that's a that's a big time fine. Yeah. And that might even be a suspension. Um, you don't you don't go there. And I, I think it's funny too, we've we've seen this moment where um Alvin Gentry keeps wanting to do it, but He's also like, eh, I don't know how much time I got left in this here league, and I might as well keep my $5,000 in my pocket, my $10,000 in my pocket. So we've seen Alvin Gentry kind of like, you know, he's got he's got a kid at USC he's got to pay for college for and stuff. So I don't blame him. Like, you know, it's tough. But on occasion, I think he, he needs to maybe get a tech or two in, in major situations and maybe lose his – his cool and get thrown out of a game here near the end just to just to back his guys that that would be interesting interesting yeah um yeah i certainly wouldn't mind it i think the situations have been funny like last night alvin seemed like he was about to start talking about it but then just stopped he's like ah, i'm not gonna go there uh, or yeah you said the kid at usc thing alvin directly mentioned uh earlier in a game this year like nope not gonna talk about it i'm a kid at usc um yeah so yeah it's it's definitely been funny to deal with and last night was actually the worst officiating experience that i think i've been a part of that was i i was yeah i'm not one to usually say anything because you know there's always a good amount of things that were within the team's control that they could have done better. This one was pretty tough. There was a, yeah, three, four minute stretch where I was like, wow, there was a lot of calls right there that, that were very, very tough. Yeah. On one end, like you, it looks like De'Aaron Fox gets hammered or Sabonis gets hammered. And then on the other end, it's literally a touch foul. It, it, it's not even like just called so tightly. I, I, like uh, Chemezi Metu had one play where I thought he did a really nice job on Giannis. He even swatted Giannis and uh, Trey Lyles like took two charges against Giannis. I thought he, he played, he played well. Uh, and, and so like there, there are moments in that game where I, I think the momentum could have swung one way or the other. And I thought the crowd was engaged. It was like, it was a, it was a good time. It was a good game of basketball. And I think that's one thing that we're seeing down the stretch here is win, lose, or draw, uh, or win or lose. Um, you're getting a, a like on a nightly basis. This team is fighting, and they look so much better than they did, you know, early in the season for sure. But even like after the trade, you're seeing that a day here, a practice, a day there, a practice. They're adding more and more play sets. They're adding more and more wrinkles to what they're trying to do. Guys are getting more comfortable with playing off of Sabonis, and I think that that's that's a huge part of this. You. Learning how to play off of a big man like Sabonis is not easy. And you have to, like, it takes some time to figure it out. And, you know, Trey Lyles played with Jokic. We talked about this last pod. 
you know, Dante DiVincenzo has not played with a guy like this. So, you know, it does take him. It's going to, he's a really good natural cutter, but it's going to take him a little while to figure out what Sabonis likes to do and where he wants to hit you and all that stuff. And I think we're just seeing some of that adjustment period, but also we're starting to see, uh, you know, the team starting to figure it out, starting to build chemistry on the court. And I think that's good. And that's why I think you play the season out the way that you're supposed to play it out. Like you go out there and you try to win every game. And if you lose, it's, you know, it's a downer. But when you win, fans shouldn't be like, oh my gosh, I can't believe they beat the Bulls. This is horrible. That's not the way this this should go. This team needs some positivity. You don't want to lose, you know, 14, 15 straight to end the season. That would not be good. Yeah, I'm definitely with you. Um, I think that we've heard a lot recently these last two games about the growing chemistry and how it's just going to improve even more so over the offseason as these guys kind of spend some time together. Um, I think that it's been expected from like, well, I guess Alvin, it it makes sense as kind of like a pitch to keep him around um, with just so much we and talk of next year and moving forward. Um, But to be expected from De'Aaron or Davion or Sabonis when we hear it. But I think it's pretty interesting. Like, I swear that DiVincenzo said the word we in every single uh, sentence that he was asked in his postgame presser, which maybe I'm reading too much into. I guess you're talking about a team game. Um, but, I mean, he, he definitely sounds like a guy that is expecting to be back next year. Or is that just me? No, I think you're right. Actually, let's do this. We're we're gonna play a clip of Dante DiVincenzo from uh, from last night's post game, and um, number one, like he's he's kind of a trip. We're learning Dante DiVincenzo as like an interviewee, and he's super super intense. And I don't know if he didn't do a lot of media in Milwaukee because um, because they're so star studded, and you know you're gonna get. It's going to be tough to be the guy who, who goes in front of the mic every night. Um, but uh, he he has some moments where he's kind of playful, but other moments where, like, like this dude is all about business. <laughs> and, like, he's he's intense. He's a fiery dude. So I'm going to run that tape uh, right now of, uh, like, the first, I don't know, it's probably a minute, minute and a half of Dante DiVincenzo at, uh, at postgame last night where Brennan and I asked him some questions. Yeah, don't say in a season of first for you, uh, this is your first time playing against the Milwaukee Bucks. Just what was it like going up against guys that you, you know, played with for so long? It was funny because uh, they were calling out plays and I knew everyone. <laughs> so, <laughs> uh, you can see like side out of bounds, baseline out of bounds, like the one where I stole from Chris, like um, just knowing what they're doing. I was trying to reiterate what they're doing. And, um, it felt good knowing knowing that stuff and being to be able to communicate with the team and, and have those guys play with so much energy that they did tonight, even though it resulted in a, in a loss. I think we're making steps, we're making strides in the right direction. If we play with that energy um, on both ends of the floor, um, we can be good. Dante, how much have you been looking forward to this game? Um, I've been asked that question a lot in the last couple of days. Um, is for me, it was just the next game, honestly. I think it was cool to see familiar faces before the game. I'm trying to lock in for the game, you know. I got Brooke coming up to me on layup lines and messing with me and stuff. So, like, it's good to see familiar faces, but 
when you boil it down to basketball, it's just our next game, trying to get better. Um, I don't care if we're playing the Bucks or it doesn't matter what team we're playing. Like I'm trying to get better every day, trying to establish good habits here um, from top to bottom from the team. And but obviously personal connection and stuff, like you get a little bit more energy, a little bit more juice going against those guys. So it was it was fun. Uh, look at that. I cut. Uh, I, I didn't get the Brendan question in there, but your point, he said we at least like four times in his in his first answer. We, 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 we. Um, that's a good thing. I, I mean, he seems like he wants to be here. He seems like a natural fit. Um, but we we need to see more of him. Yeah. It's like, why was he not? starting <laughs> what what is uh, i don't uh, understand okay we're just gonna do it we're gonna i asked alvin gentry what if we're going to see him as we'll just play that clip really quick alvin um dante had a, a really nice game yesterday and a really good game tonight is there gonna come a point you got 11 games less left but where he gets you test him in the starting lineup alongside fox to see if that's a pairing that could be something that looks interesting for next season? Yeah, I, I think that's something that, uh, you know, that we would look at, you know, I mean, uh, and really thought about doing it tonight, but, uh, you know, we had liked the group that was out there starting, but yeah, I mean, you know, there's a, a, a possibility that that could happen, yes. There is a possibility, Brendan. There is, so you're saying there's a chance. Mm. Yeah, it's... <laughs> why did you go like he played really well starting alongside chicago um in chicago against chicago against there chicago. we go i got it on yeah. the third try yeah and <laughs> i just don't understand going back to justin holiday like justin holiday doesn't help you right now he is already signed for next season his contract goes in next season you need to figure out what sort of evaluation that Dante DiVincenzo deserves. And we've said it before, if he plays his way into a bit more money in these final 10-11 games, then he deserves to be paid it by the Kings. Like, I don't think, and maybe I'm wrong with this, and this is where there's a difference, but I don't think that if he plays amazingly in these final 10 games, he's getting some crazy jump in pay from where if we were to end the season right now. Um, I think that it's what I wrote in the article for the Kings beat the other day after he played 11 minutes against the Denver Nuggets. It's that like, I'm worried that Dante could look at this and feel like it's a situation where you're playing me less to mess with my market value and feel a type of way about that, understandably so. And just got rid of the disgruntled players that don't want to be here that were probably a big part of what was a, a culture of kind of frustration and distrust, it almost seems, on the court among the players. And like, just please don't get another disgruntled player on this team that is your own fault. Like just, I'm just scared that we're getting towards this. I'll tell you this. Uh, there are some grumblings. Um, there is some unhappy 
people like they're like his camp isn't isn't fully on board with what's happening they're confused by what's happening um you know it's one thing to say yeah we love dante we traded for him twice which is what we heard after the bulls game from alvin gentry it's another thing to come out in a game against his former team and not even give him a shot that's that's a whole uh, like that's another level like to to not give him an opportunity to start against his former team and i get that justin holiday started against his brother andrew holiday so there's some sort of special bond there as well but this is the first time he gets to play his former team and i think we what we have is we have a player that is a known commodity right most people know who dante divincenzo is we uh, like as basketball people, we watched him play in college because he won two national championships, but really the last one he was like such a huge part of. We watched him start 66 games for the for the uh, Bucks last season. The entire season, basically, he started um, and then he got hurt. Um, but the the difference between knowing what he is as like a, again, a known commodity is that uh, when you put him in a different situation, where he's not surrounded by superstars. Can he be better than he was before? If you put him in a different situation where he's playing alongside De'Aaron Fox, and that requires you to be a shooter first, a playmaker, uh, a rebounder, a defensive specialist, all of these things, how does he look in that role? And we need to see him in the different roles that he would play in Sacramento. Can he be a a 15-point-a-game guy? You know, like when the Kings traded for him the first time that fell through the Bogdanovich deal, my thought on on Dante DiVincenzo was he's a more athletic version of Bogdan Bogdanovich. Smart player, better defender, uh, maybe not as good a shooter, uh, maybe not as good a three-level scorer like as refined, but super smart, uh, super gritty, and a guy that can be a secondary ball handler, a secondary distributor in your starting lineup. Like, I thought he was going to be a great fit, and I thought he would also be much less expensive or at least somewhat less expensive than Bogdanovich. But these last 11 games, man, I, I don't know who's making that decision, and I, I'm not going to put it all on Alvin. I'm just going to tell people right now, that is not, I almost guarantee you that's not all Alvin's decision. There are certain people that are going to play and certain people that aren't going to play at this time of the season because that's where we're at. So like when Mo Harkless doesn't play for five or six games, those are organizational decisions. And while Alvin Gentry is part of that decision, he's not strictly making that decision. You know, like early in the season, Marvin Bagley doesn't play at all. That may have been a 100% Luke Walton idea, but it also may have been an organizational decision because you're looking at if he reaches the starter criteria that all of a sudden his uh, qualifying offer jumps from $6.4 million to 11.3 or something. So again, these are organizational decisions sometimes. And when we get to the end of the season, you know, I understand why Jeremy Lamb isn't playing. They're calling it personal reasons. He's had an ankle problem, whatever it is. Like, I get it. Like, Jeremy Lamb has never been able to stay healthy, number one. Number two, he's not under contract for next season, and the chance of him coming back is very slim, right? So 
I'm okay with him not being part of what we're seeing. Alex Len, I'm okay with him not being. I would much rather see the Kings try to test out if Sabonis and Rashawn Holmes can play together a little bit here and there, whether Holmes can be a backup just in case you can't trade him this summer. But you also need to keep his trade value up. You also are completely screwing over Damian Jones in that situation. So you might end up losing Damian Jones to retain the the value of Rashawn Holmes. But saying all that, I'm fine if Alex Lynn doesn't play because we have all these other options. And I know the good people of Portugal are like, man, we were kind of promised that Namias Cato would finish the season and play a bunch of minutes down the stretch. That would have happened except for the Kings traded for a 25-year-old two-time All-Star that plays his position and were not able to trade away their 10 to $11 million center that they already had that they're going to have to trade this summer to clear up and rebalance the roster. So like, there are reasons these things are happening. In a perfect world, we would be seeing Kata being the backup at this point. Kata or Damian, uh, Damian Jones like to give Damian Jones one more look, but like this is it's a weird situation and i think uh i'm not going to keep all of it on alvin gentry because i know these things are never as cut and dry as a coach made a decision not to play somebody not to start somebody not to play somebody a certain amount of minutes um within a game you can have a moment where harrison barnes sits the whole fourth quarter because you're going with something that's working and it's and it's like a battle and you're just not going to mix it up but overall, I think like we have to we have to step back from this situation a little bit, Brennan. Yeah, it's a weird one. <laughs> yeah, I just don't. <laughs> I don't know. It's it's weird. You know, I, I try to present the other side and see if I can you know find the logic in the yeah in. in the area that I disagree with, no matter, like, you know, is starting Justin Holiday, like, like you mentioned, his synergy with Sabonis, like, I think that makes sense to me. Um, but yeah. at this point, it's like, DiVincenzo is just undeniably playing better than Justin Holiday. Like, I, I don't, you know, sure, like, he's closing DiVincenzo, that is, and that's what really matters. I agree. But, like, why? I just don't understand. <laughs> I don't understand, James. This man deserves to start, and I think that we all reasonably expected him to after he plays really well against Chicago, and he's going up against his former team. And not only is it like he's going up against his former team, this team comes to Golden 1 Center once every year. Um, Like, he's not going to get a chance to do this very often. And I just, it's it's a shocker for me, for sure. It's a shocker, and, and, you know, I think, it's a shocker for a couple of reasons too, because, you know, they play the Boston Celtics on Friday night and I kind of want to see what the backcourt of De'Aaron Fox and Dante DiVincenzo looks like against the backcourt of the Boston Celtics. I mean, it's a very like high quality backcourt. Like I would like to see what those two look like, but I also, I want to see it like a buildup of it. Like, that's why you start a guy next to a guy. So they're playing so many minutes together. And I also think like there's been this weird when Dante DiVincenzo goes into a game. And a lot of times it's been he'll start the second quarter uh, on the court. And the problem that you have with that is if something goes wrong and you start getting blown out, then you start subbing starters back in to end the second. And now he goes from the potential of playing 12 minutes in the second quarter to he walks out of the second quarter he's only played seven or eight minutes 
And now you already know, like, the chance of him playing more than, you know, 16 or, or 18 minutes, it, it's, it, it's gone already. Like, you can't even get up to 25 minutes to see what he looks like. And so I, I just really feel like there's there needs to be an adjustment here, and hopefully there is, and, um, you know, we can stop harping on it because this is one of those weird sort of nuanced things where it's like, okay, like, how many times do we have to talk about the fact that Dante Vincenzo is not starting then he sh- he starts, he proves the point of why he should start, and now he's not starting again. So, yeah, I, I you know maybe maybe this is one of those. This is the last time we talk about this, Brendan. <laughs> I hope so, James. Um, I would imagine you've had a lot of those throughout the twelve, thirteen years, and some of them that you've probably said that in lasted years. So hopefully, um, we don't have some sort of. Yeah, rotational questions that, yeah. I'm just, I don't even, I just don't understand the argument for Justin Holiday. All right, I'm done. Because even Davion Mitchell is a better option. It, yeah. You know, when when Justin Holiday came out and missed his first four shots, including three wide open threes, it was like, okay, this is not working. You have to do something different. You have to, right now, you have to do something different. We can't keep watching the same exact thing again and again. Like it's like it's taking the soul out of the team. If someone is missing all of their shots, it just really it hurts. And so I, I'm hoping that uh, that we start seeing some change, some change here. Um, but you never know. Uh, it, we're gonna come back to a different topic because I have them listed in a certain order. But I think Davion Mitchell makes a lot more sense to talk about right now. Um, he had clearly, in my mind, hit like the rookie wall. And that's, that's you know, it, it is what it is. The rookie wall is real. Um, he has now scaled the rookie wall. Like, he, he just, like, climbed over the top of it, and he's standing on top of it, jumping up and down and saying, okay, I'm going to the other side now. Um, do you see that? Do you see him, like, it's like, ah, that's that's the kid that we, we've seen flashes of, and he's fun. I think so. I, I'm hoping because, you know, there were those 10 games prior to the All-Star, All-Star break where he was playing really well. Um, I do worry that maybe he's just a up-and-down offensive player. But, you know, with how hardworking he is, and I'm sure that that's such an adjustment playing this many games compared to how many he did at Baylor and also being a guy that was in college for four years, even if one of those was red shirt, like I'm sure you just get so used to the college system rather than a guy that spends one year there and goes straight into the NBA. Like um, I, I would guess that there totally is a adjustment period for Davion Mitchell that I, I think he's starting to kind of get into a rhythm here. Um, and, and hopefully we can keep this up throughout the final 10, 11 games. I, I think that, seeing it for that long of a stretch would have me really encouraged going into the off season and get me further away from the idea of, well, maybe he's just going to be an inconsistent offensive player because I, I think that I've liked what we've seen recently. He's been more confident to take more shots. And I, I think that his synergy with Dante is really interesting. You know, I think that where we've seen a lot of growth, like Fox and Sabonis clicked pretty quickly. But I think that seeing Davion and Dante both grow in those lineups where Fox is on the bench and they're playing alongside Sabonis is where I've seen a lot of progress. And those guys just getting confident and, and trust in one another 
and understanding each other's spots and things like that. So definitely individual growth. I feel like we've seen from Davion, you know, he's able to create space. He stops really quickly. I, I've liked his finishing around the rim this year with both hands. Like we've seen bits and pieces of everything, but he's kind of starting to put it all together in these last few games. Yeah, Brendan, I, I totally agree with a lot of what you said about Davion. Uh, you know, again, he's finally hitting his three-point shot. He's so incredibly confident on his three. He's He has this ability to break down the defense. His ball handling is spectacular. It's like, I didn't think we would see that from him in his rookie season. He is showing off, like, all kinds of handles. He still could be a better playmaker. He still could do a lot of the finer nuances of the game better, especially on the offensive end. But overall, I think, you know, we're seeing an, a nice development from a young player. And I like to see that he, he went through his struggles and we're starting to see the other side and what that looks like because no player, like, walks into the league and is good for 82 games. Like, hey, I got this. And I, I think, again, we talked about this before. He's going to have to work on his, his uh, routine for sure. Like, he, he does work really, really hard. And I think he works too hard sometimes and he wears himself out. And uh, at the end of the day, you know, that's a good thing to have a player that wants to work that hard, but you got to have some direction for him. And so, yeah, I think what we're seeing here is is really strong. And he's intriguing, right? Because you think, is he a two? Is he a one? We we still don't really know that. But even like what we heard DiVincenzo talk about him, just like he's such a special player and, and a special person. I thought that was an interesting take by DiVincenzo probably should have cut that video for this so you could listen to him talk about uh like DiVincenzo's thoughts on um on Davion but compared him to Drew Holiday and his defensive intensity there it is it was Dante said that um he plays off of Davion and it looked like he like hesitated for a sec and he's like screw it I don't care that he's a rookie like I'm playing off of Davion they're like a year apart yeah in age (laughs) and he called him kid like a, a couple of times, but that doesn't matter when you look at a rookie versus a guy who's, you know, uh, finishing up his, his fourth season, right? Uh, it, it is, it's a kid versus, you know, a season, a seasoned vet at this point for DiVincenzo, especially a guy who's played on, you know, a championship team. I mean, he's a seasoned guy for sure. Yeah, definitely is. Um, I think that their synergy is and the growth between that duo is has been fun to watch you know you see so much like even on-court interaction during free throws um and things like this between those two and they definitely talk each other up you know we get a lot of pr answers from those guys and they go very media mode but whenever they're talking about each other it, it feels very genuine like they they really enjoy each other and they feel similar like i understand why when that guy walks in, Dante, that is, while, why they look at each other and are like, okay, we're on the same page here. That's an interesting, uh, like, uh, okay, so this is going to be a teaching moment for uh, for Brendan. Um, most players, just so you know, they really enjoy talking about their teammates a lot more than they enjoy talking about themselves or another loss. So if when when you're crafting a story, that's one of the the easiest things to do to get quotes is to go from one teammate to the next and say, "Yay, I know you have a connection with De'Aaron. Why don't you tell me what you've seen from his leadership changes?" You know, if you go ask a guy like Harrison Barnes, you get a lot more out of that question than you do asking Harrison Barnes something about himself. 
Um, the only one that I remember that was the opposite of that is Willie Cauley Stein, where it was always, it always came back to him. And you're like, I didn't ask you about you. I asked you about someone else. And he was always very oddly centered on what he, how he fit into that question. And you're like, but that question's not about you. And so that was like, that's one of the few players I've ever mm-hmm. covered that I remember that, um, you know, you would talk uh, to DeMarcus Cousins about Ben McLemore and he's like, oh, he's my little brother. And he'd go off on this like really, really strong take. Um, so like it, it, most players feel more comfortable talking about other people than they do themselves, which is, which is fun because I, I saw that too with, with, uh, with Davion and, and um, Dante. It definitely makes sense. Um, probably a human nature thing. I enjoy more talking up friends, family, siblings, whatever, than talking up myself. So understandable. Yeah. 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 So, um, all right. So we're going to get to uh, one of the other, uh, like the unsung heroes of maybe the last two weeks. Like, I, I, I think um, Trey Lyles has grown on me. And I did not expect that to happen at all. I was like, eh, I'm kind of on the fence whether I would pick up the $2.6 million contract of Trey Lyles for next season. Now I'm like, okay, Trey Lyles could be here. That's fine. If, if he's like, if he's your starting for, I think the offseason has gone horribly wrong. Um, and that's not a bash on him. That's just to say, like, I, you know, you need a, a very good player at that position. Um, but, Brendan, what I like about him is that he does a bunch of sneaky good things. You know, like the fact that Trey Lyles drew two offensive fouls against Giannis Antetokounmpo was shocking. Like, I didn't think he had that in him. And there he is. And the fact that, like, he he realizes he's not getting any shots one game, so he goes and gets four offensive rebounds, that shows me something. Again, he posted a second straight double-double. Uh, and, and he, he really is growing on me. And, and I know even, um, Alvin talked about like, look, we keep telling him you need to shoot the ball more. You, when we pass you the ball and you're open on the three, shoot the ball. Like, we don't mind that you're doing an off the dribble thing. And on occasion, um, you know, you you break down the defense and you get to the rim and all that stuff. But at the end of the day, like, dude, this is who you should be. Like, we need you to stretch the floor. What are your thoughts on Trey? Yeah, I've been impressed. I mean, I am good with him as the third, fourth, probably fourth wing on the team. You know, like I, I think the eighth man, ninth man, like I think a two point six million evaluation for next season is something I'm totally fine with. Um I, I think that I've really liked his rebounding. Like you said, he puts the ball on the floor and I think passes fairly well. Um Yeah, I mean I think that the he definitely does pass up some shots sometimes. I, mm-hmm. I saw, um, you know, like I said, I think last episode, Detroit fans pointing out, are you tired of the pump fakes yet? And ever since that got pointed out to me, I'm like, man, this guy does pump fake all the time. And I think that's kind of what Alvin was pointing at yesterday. But I'm, you know, it's more than expected to play 33 minutes and like be in that closing lineup over Harrison Barnes. And while Harrison, yeah, looks like he's probably slowing down a little. There's also an argument that like, Trey kind of was just the better player that night for reasons that are because Trey was doing well. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I've definitely been encouraged. 
I don't think that I've felt him be like horrible harming you on the defensive end in the way that I maybe was expecting. Um, so yeah, I mean, I'm really good with Trey Lyles as the backup for going into next season. But like you said, if, if he's the starter, like something's gone horribly wrong. Yeah. I mean, if he's your fourth big, I think you're okay. Like, I, I mean, especially if your, your starter is, is Sabonis and player X and then, you know, filter in a, a guy like, you know, Damian Jones or a guy like, you know, I, I don't know if Namias Cato will be ready next season, uh, but maybe like that type of player that backs him up. Um, you know, I, I think he can fit in. He has a, uh, like one of those like elite NBA skills uh, for a big man. He can really shoot the ball. And is he like a 45% shooter? No, but he's actually a really good three point shooter. Um, and like being a, a stretch big is, is huge in the league. You have to have a stretch big. And I remember the Kings years ago traded for Anthony tall. I mean, uh, signed Anthony Tolliver as a free agent. And to me, um, number one, they overpaid Anthony Tolliver like egregiously. I don't even know what was happening there. Um, they gave him like, he made as much in that season as he had in his entire career. Um, which, you know, that's one of those weird anomalies. Uh, I think Garrett Temple too, but Garrett Temple actually played really well for a couple of years for the Kings. Um, but, like, just adding Anthony Tolliver space to floor and gave the Kings a different element that Dave Yeager had been begging for. And uh, just, he didn't even have to be great. He just had to put the fear of of his ability to shoot the three in order to space the floor. And, uh, and that's what I kind of look at Trey I think he can be a guy and you know we talked to him at practice the other day and um, I asked him about sort of like settling in in the league and and like finding your place your niche in the league which is really really hard to do like so many players come into the league thinking they're going to be a star and that's because they've been a star the star at every level that they've ever played at you know we're, we're seeing some of these crazy super teams come through the high school ranks so what was the the team last year's draft? Like Moses Moody, Montverde, uh, Kate, yeah, yeah, Cade, Cade Cunningham, Moody, Scotty, uh, Barnes. Scotty Barnes, uh, Dayron Sharp, uh, yeah, Dayron Sharp on that team. There's one more. There's one more top like six guy or something, or eight guy. Um, anyway, like we see those teams on occasion. You see a team like De'Aaron Fox's AAU team was. Like Kelly, Kelly Oubre, Justin Jackson, um, like he had a bunch of guys. Maybe like five NBA players on that team. Um, but like most players go through like from the time they're little kids, everyone's praising how amazing they are until they hit their freshman year and they're starting a, on a varsity team and they're the best player that at school. And they're, every year they go through, they're the best player. They get to the college ranks, and then all of a sudden you start weeding out, like, who's the best. But then if you make it to the pros, you're an exceptional player. Like, there aren't players that make it to the pros that are just horrible basketball players, regardless of what people think. There are players that aren't as good as other NBA players, for sure, and who aren't going to stay in the league long or, you know, somehow stay in the league, and you're shocked that they stay in the league. But at the end of the day, like, these guys have always been the best player that they've at every level. And uh, when they get to the league, it's like a stunning moment where 
number one, you start out, you're a rookie and you're trying to make some impact. And then all of a sudden you're on the bench and you're watching every game and you can watch games while you're getting like beat down. And then, Hey, we need you to go in the game for the last 20 minutes while we're down 25. Good luck with that rook. And you're thinking, well, I've always been a star, you know, Josh Jackson on, on the Kings roster was always a star. I mean, he, he was this, you know, a top four pick. And now he just sits there while Trey Lyles plays a bunch of minutes and he doesn't. And so there is something that like at, at a certain point either clicks or doesn't with players where they Marvin really Bagley do. Marvin Bagley is a good example. Yes, exactly. Marvin Bagley is a very good example who literally right now is averaging 14 and 7. The same exact number he finished his first, second, and third season with, 14 and 7. Like he's the same exact dude. And the, the moment that Marvin accepts a role and plays to that role is the moment that he becomes like a viable NBA player. I, I just think with like guys like Trey, um, guys like even Dante DiVincenzo, who, who is coming to Sacramento hoping for more, but understands that like maybe there's not, maybe that he's going to have to be the guy who plays alongside guys like Harrison Barnes and De'Aaron Fox and Sabonis. Um, guys like Mo Harkless, who like completely gives up his scoring to be a selfless player who just plays defense. Those are having those players are so valuable, and that's why having a really young roster is so incredibly hard. It's why a team like the Minnesota Timberwolves just struggle, struggle, struggle for years, even though half their team is like a number one or number two pick in the draft. And you're just like, how are these guys as bad? It's like, well, because all your role players are also, you know, 21, 22, 23 year old dudes who still think that they can be something that they're not going to be at the NBA level. And so, yeah, again, like this is a conversation about Trey Lyles and accepting your role and, and playing to your strengths. But man, that like, if you can do that, you can be in the league for a long time. And he's just an incredibly high basketball IQ player. And that's, if there's one thing that like, I would really point to at the deadline, the Kings brought in, like they increased their overall IQ from like, maybe 100, 105, if there's actually a basketball IQ, to like 125 to 130. Like all of a sudden their basketball IQ went up so much. And you know who has been the beneficiary of the basketball IQ that was brought in? De'Aaron Fox. Yeah. And I feel like a level of trust and understanding of that IQ is such a big deal for a team that is – really trying to push ball movement so much like I if you're out there and you know that the guy you're giving it up to you're not sure if he's going to make a good decision I think it make just makes you hesitate to move the ball a little bit more and in a way that we haven't seen since they's, they've made these moves um, so I think that they definitely got rid of some guys that have very questionable basketball IQs and brought in on the uh, guys who definitely fall on the other end. I, I don't think that they like pop off the screen when it comes to IQ or anything like this, that they're not phenomenal, but I, I think that they definitely do have good basketball IQs and coming from the starting point that they were at, you definitely can see the improvement. Yeah. I mean, for me, it's like, even if you look at, uh, at the two players that we've talked about at that, that four position, Chemezi Metu and Trey Lyles, like they're almost the same age. Like Chemezi Metu is what, 24, 25? And Trey Lyles is 26. And when we're looking at those two players, 
one player is is demanding that he's still going to be, you know, something, you know, that, I, I, you know, he believes he's earned his spot. And, and I had no problems with what Chemezi Metu said. Yeah, Chemezi Metu is almost 25. Um, March 22nd, he'll be 20, uh, he'll be 25. Um, but my point is that like one guy is still trying to earn his way into the league. And that's because that's, you know, Metu has not solidified himself in the league yet. While the other guy just knows how to go out there and like, he understands who he is and what he is as a player. And he tries to play to those strengths and he tries to hide his weaknesses. He knows he's not great in space. He knows he's a big guy. And he's going to get, you know, run around by specific guys. And, you know, sometimes that means that you've got to take a charge as opposed to trying to do something athletic. Um, but they're, I think that it's like the maturation of a player. And I think the Kings should be really looking at that and like, how do we fit in more of these guys that, you know, even if we're not, if we can't upgrade the team and, and go get a, you know, a player who's like a 90 on 2K, maybe we can get a player who's like, like two players that are 78s, but are really, really smart players that know exactly who they are. And, and that's kind of, I think, where they they probably have to look if, if they can't hit another swing for the fence move. You know who fits your ladder description? Uh-oh. Keegan Murray. Oh, we're coming back to Keegan Murray. He does. He does. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah, maybe. I mean, the problem is you're looking at a young player who... Um, like if, if you're going to spend a high draft pick, you want to make sure he's going to, he's going to be that player. I mean, again, if you compare Keegan Murray to Sadiq Bay, that's who Sadiq Bay is. You know, he came out of college knowing exactly who he is. You know, it's like, okay, like I, I got you. You're, you're that guy. You, you know how to fill a role and you know, you look at Mikhail Bridges. Yep. You know how to fill a role. You know who you are. You know, you're not going to be Devin Booker. But you can be Sean Marion, you know, like you're allowed to be that. You're allowed to be like an exceptional three and D player, like a better version of Bruce Bowen, you know, those things. And so, I mean, I guess maybe that's where Davion Mitchell kind of fits into one of those categories. Like you went out and got a guy who like, if nothing else, he's going to, I mean, they, they put Davion Mitchell on, on Chris Middleton, who's yeah. like six, eight. Yeah. Uh, for long stretches. And I, I thought he, I mean, he still gave up like uh, Middleton scored like 33 and got on a heater, but like he, he gave him fits. Like that's the best you could probably do in that situation. Definitely. Um, yeah. I mean, I think that I'm, I'm with you. It's, I'm encouraged by Lyles and, and Mitchell and some of these other guys that have their flashes, and I, I like the IQ and what we've seen from them. Um, I'm not 100% certain that if they're the starters on the team next year that I, I feel great about it, but I like them as part of a rotation. I, I think that it's improvement from where we were at at the deadline and kind of just comes back around to um, this was step one, and it, or it needs to be step one. No, I totally agree. I totally agree with that. And I'm not saying any of these guys, like what we're talking about with Trey Lyles or, or Davion Mitchell, um, you know, you could even put Dante DiVincenzo in. There's a question whether or not he's a, a, a starter on a team like the Kings. Like a starter on a team like the Bucks, and a starter on the team like the Kings is different because you're a starter with four all-stars on one team and another where maybe there are two all-stars 
uh, maybe three players that are legitimate NBA starters at this point, and then you're searching for like the other two, like are they legitimate NBA starters or not? Um, yeah, so I th- I think it's interesting. It's uh like roster construction is is never what you think it is. It's not like let me go get the best power forward. Let me go get the best center. Let me. They all have to work together in some sort of, uh, you know, synchronized motion that that makes sense. Like they, there has to be chemistry. There has to be player types that fit with other player types and stuff like that. So, uh, yeah. Either way, I, I think we're for like a really interesting final eleven games because I think we are going to see a lot more mixing and matching. And then, um, and that kind of brings us to. Uh, one of our final topics here, which is, um, you know, the Kings are, what do we say? They're four games back Four four games in the loss column, three and a half overall. Like somehow um, the Kings are not eliminated from the play-in game. Um, they are, let me see, four games back and five games in the loss column. Um, that's virtually un- insurmountable in the final um, 11 games. It, it's not totally. And, uh, but the good thing, Brendan, is that we've seen the Spurs, like there's this really silly, well, I don't want to say it's silly. Greg Popovich is now the all-time leader in wins in NBA history. Um, that may have cost his team like two draft spots, like in, in the lottery, because there's, there's still, I mean, they have an outside shot to actually catch New Orleans, but now they've got 27 wins. The Kings have, what, 25. Portland has, like, 26. Like, there's this, like, separation there where they would really have to tank, and their schedule is really easy down the stretch. And uh, and so they've kind of taken themselves out of the running for, you know, the sixth spot. And uh, so the Kings are currently in the sixth spot. Uh, they're right there with the Blazers. Uh, the Blazers are going to do everything in their power to tank. Um, but what are your sort of thoughts on where you think the Kings will end up and what that means? Yeah, they're a game and a half out of the fifth best odds where Indiana's sitting. And, you know, I, I think that they could potentially catch that. I'd be surprised. Um, but to me, like the range that you're talking about is anywhere from that fifth or down to eighth, really. Like, I, I think that New Orleans is out of the picture, so maybe my, like, full range would be five to nine, but I think realistically you're probably talking six, seven, or eight. And there's, you know, not an insignificant difference between those. Like, when you're sitting at six, you have a 9% chance of number one and 37% chance of top four. If you're sitting at eight, your 9% chance of the first bid goes down to six, and your 37% chance of top four goes down to 26%. And, you know, it's it's not nothing. And a top four pick would drastically change the trajectory of this franchise. Well, it should if, uh, if they, you know, do well with that asset because we've seen them have that before and it not change the trajectory. But, you know, I think that this is, as we've talked about, their greatest asset going into this offseason. So, maximizing that is is definitely important and it kind of feels like the six to eight range um, I wouldn't be shocked if they ended up like fifth or ninth but I'm not exactly um, feeling confident that we're gonna see that yeah I mean the chance of of uh, Indiana catching them is pretty slim um, they uh, they are getting a player back what are, who are they getting back um, 
while he's been cleared for basketball activities, I don't know if he'll actually play this season. Um, so TJ Warren, he got announced yeah. today that he's not playing for the rest of this year. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah, he did. I know he got cleared though to actually resume. Um, but like one of the, the interesting things that Brendan's talking about here with the numbers is if you're the number six, right? You have a 37.2% chance of moving into the top four. You cannot get the fifth pick in the draft if you're number six because the the top four are all lottery uh, picks. One, two, three, four is how the lottery works. It used to be just the top three. Um, and because you're the sixth, if all of the top f- uh, like four teams, if all of the top four picks are from the top five, then you know whoever is the fifth is going to be there. Um, I don't know if that makes sense. Um, there's, I'm just saying, there's no way to get to fifth. But here's the point. You have a 37.2% chance of moving into the top four. You only have an 8.6% chance of landing the number six pick, which is where you're, you're already slated. Um, but you have a 29.8% chance of falling to number seven and a 20.6%. So the cool thing about the six pick is you actually have a higher percentage of moving into the top four than you do of drafting anywhere else. Like there's a higher percentage, but if you move down one spot to the seventh spot, now you're looking at, you know, a 31 point something percent chance of moving into the top three, uh, I mean the top four, but a 34% chance of dropping back to number eight. And so the numbers do change dramatically, especially you get to the the eighth pick and you're looking at, what is that, 20... 25% 25% roughly uh, chance of moving into 25.2, I think, of moving into the top four. But you now you have a 34% chance of moving to number eight and a, of being the eighth pick and a 32% chance of being the number nine pick. So your odds of like falling or, uh, you know, or moving up like change dramatically here at this section of the draft. And so um, the Kings would be much better served if they stayed right where they're at at the number six. I don't know if they can do that because I think Portland's going to try to tank every single game from here on out. I mean, they just like, if anyone says, Hey, look, I'm good. They're like, Oh, you don't get to play anymore. Um, yeah. I mean, one year Portland, uh, the final game of the season, they ran six players out onto the, onto the court. Um, and like not at the same time, cause that would be illegal, but they only had six players play, uh, including Scala BCR and they beat the Kings, um, on the 40 wins. Yeah, uh, yeah, the Kings had a chance to get to 40 wins, and Dave Yeager pulled the plug uh, at halftime. I, I think they scored 83 in the first half and then lost. Anthony Simons went crazy in that game. And so did Scal. Yeah, they both had huge games. And Caleb Swanigan played a lot of minutes in that game. For which team, though? This is what I really don't know. Like, <laughs> I genuinely cannot tell you. Uh... I think it was Sacramento. Um there might have been Justin James action in that game. Uh, yeah. I it mean, was, late, was late the in the game, game uh, Jaeger definitely decided um, to cash it in. And uh, then, of course, the next morning he was fired. Um, and I don't think that those two had anything. I think that was just the last, like, yeah, you know, I- I'm going to do this. That's I don't care. Uh, we're not going to get to your 40 wins, uh, which, again, it wouldn't have mattered. Yeah, the Kings – Excuse me. The Kings lost one thirty six to one thirty one. Um, yeah, we saw. Yeah, Caleb Swanigan played 
almost 18 minutes. Troy Williams played 11 minutes, and B.J. Johnson oh played six minutes. Corey Brewer played 23. I think it might have been Corey Brewer's last game in the league. Uh, Yogi Ferrell played 29 minutes. You know, they sat their star-studded starting lineup of uh, De'Aaron Fox, Buddy Heald, uh, Willie Cauley-Stein, Harrison Barnes, and then Nemanja Bialica all played less than 18 minutes in that game. Um, and the reason I bring this up is like Portland, they literally only played six players and it's, uh, Simons, uh, Jack Lehman, uh, Gary Trent Jr., Myers Leonard and Scala Bissier, uh, with Zach Collins being the lone player to come off the bench. And Zach Collins played 13 minutes, like three dudes played 48 minutes in that game for Portland. Yeah. Yeah. That's Simons. ridiculous. Simons had 37 points, nine assists, uh, and Scal had um, 29 points and 15 rebounds. When teams want to lose games at the end of the year, they're going to do everything that they can to make that happen. Sacramento's not a team that I am expecting to do that in these last 11 games. Meanwhile, um, I think San Antonio, Portland, definitely are teams, and Indiana as well. Um, feel like teams that probably are are going to end up doing that. Yeah, you see with I'm San Antonio, but San Antonio. I mean, they they do have an outside shot. I mean, I, they're they're much closer to tracking down New Orleans. And, and again, their schedule is is so simple. Um, they're only a game and a half out of the the play in. And like, look, I I I don't know how much how many more years Popovich is going to keep doing this. Um, like I don't, I don't think he'll, uh, he'll retire after this season, but I, like, I don't know like what his plan is. Um, so, uh, it, it's one of those deals where I, I do think that we're, uh, we got to kind of wait and see a little bit with that. Um, so I wouldn't doubt that they are like, Hey, you know what, let's just go for it. And, and wouldn't it be fun to knock off the Lakers and like send them pack in? That would be fun. And, uh, and then who knows, you know, maybe you have one good game and you get into the the playoffs and uh you at least say look we made the playoffs and it's something like something crazy like 40 out of 44 years that they've been in the league they've made the playoffs um yeah i forgot about that stretch they were on yeah yeah since they've been in the league i mean up until i think it was two years ago they hadn't they'd only missed the playoffs twice ever and of course it's you know they miss the playoffs and they get david robinson they miss the playoffs they get uh tim tim duncan so like nice little reset button like hey yeah. look at that we got a superstar yeah, the kings the... missed the playoffs 16 consecutive years and right. never once got a david robinson or tim duncan <laughs> for some yeah. reason just the the uh luck with these teams is getting transferred from one to the other and it's it's got to reverse at some point here i don't know man yeah um uh, well, I like going to San Antonio. It's a cool city. The Alamo's right there. Like it, the Riverwalk is cool. Um, yeah, it's it's a fun city to go visit. Okay, let's get to our our final segment, the business of basketball. Um, while we're sitting here, I've got the tournament on uh, on my upper TV. Um, I'll have it on two TVs here in just a few minutes. As soon as we're done, um, I, I love the tournament. I'll watch all day long. Um, nonstop. I think it's absolutely so crazy and like wild. Um, I'm in a, a bracket with 
Jason Ross um, at at eleven forty. He always has a monster bracket, um, and he's one of the best dudes ever. Um, but uh, like Brendan, because you're you're delving into the draft world heavier and heavier with each year that you're covering the league. What is it that you want to see, or what are you looking for in the tournament specifically? I think it's just seeing how guys deal with the moment and step up in in big opportunities and know that all the lights are on them like there's certain players that I, I think that you already kind of have a good understanding of um, but then you know once you get a little bit in towards like the middle of the lottery even in this one it's probably outside of like the top four top three ish that like you reach a point pretty quick where any of these guys can really jump or fall based on their tournament performance when they're playing against high other high caliber opponents like if you know a criticism that you hear for Chet at Gonzaga which maybe is overstated a little bit is that the conference he plays in he's not playing against great opponents um, like teams like that where it's like okay you're going to be playing high level competition here and you're going to have a handful of games in a row where Chet's doing that or as you get to the later stages specifically it's these teams have game plans set in how they're planning on dealing with you. It's, you know, deeper than a regular season game. So I think a lot of it is how guys respond to the moment for me. Um, there's a lot of pressure and, you know, just losing one regular season game is not going to have the same nerves and see how you perform in that sort of environment. So a lot of it for me is is tuning into the prospects for sure. Um, I don't watch college basketball, to be honest, outside of uh, for the sake of prospects, um, which definitely still has me watching a lot of college basketball. But yeah, I think that's that's kind of what I'm looking for, how guys step up to the moment. Yeah, I mean, I, I think you, you brought up the Chet point, and I think I saw a graphic that said that uh, Chet had... Um, on the season had played like 11 top 25 opponents and the uh, uh, Jabari Smith Jr. had pay, played like nine and Paolo uh, Bancaro had played like eight. Like he has played a harder schedule than they have. Um, I don't know the exact strength of schedule when you look at the two, but that was a, a way of them like blowing the argument away. Um, I, I'm with you. Like I, when I'm watching the tournament, when it comes to draft prospects, I think, like, we get so tied up. Like, I, there's a bunch of different ways to, like, really break down players, right? So everyone has their method, and I've covered the draft for so long, but, like, I've written so many mock drafts, it's crazy. Uh, I started studying the draft, though, years and years when I was when I was young, and I just love the draft. I, I love watching players. I love watching. Uh, for me, I, I look at things like mechanics, I look at things like like body movement, like like hip swivel, uh, like what, and I always like I come away when I watch a player. I'm always trying to think of like maybe four or five players that they remind me of historically, and then how do they fit into that realm of like a historical player? So again, like I, we've talked about Keegan Murray so many times at this point, um, and I've compared him to Marvin Williams. And I think a lot of people are like, oh, Marvin Williams. But, like, look, Marvin Williams was a number two pick in the draft. He played 15, 14, 15 years in the league. 
Um, and he had like some really good moments. The thing that, you know, separates Marvin Williams from like, from being a, a like multi-time all-star wasn't talent. It was like his motor and things like that. So while a player can look and move and have the same type of, of body chemistry, body motion that another player has that reminds me of a different, of someone else, um, that doesn't really mean that you can measure like, like their heart or you can measure their energy level or, or their want to win or their work ethic by watching that motion. Um, so like, I like to compare players, but then I, it's always with the caveat that like, look, like, is there a high end? Sure. You know, again, like I watched, uh, who's the other kid that we've talked about? Uh, Oh, Jaden Ivy. Yeah. And like Jaden Ivy, like again, whoever is his stylist is a genius. He looks exactly like John Morant. Um, but I also see DeJounte Murray and I see like somewhere in between those two players. And, you know, will he have the same career as Jaw? Probably not. Uh, could he be as good as DeJounte Murray? Maybe. Like, we don't know, but like, because we can't measure everything about a player. So can he improve as a three-point shooter? Can, you know, there are things that you're looking at, like his mechanics, are they way off? If he if he's not a great three-point shooter now, but can he hit a free throw? Uh, where is his mid-range? You know, like, can he... So when I'm watching these games, I think I do it with the the understanding that we get so caught up in watching like clips of players of watching like the the draft, you know, what used to be the draft express was like the cream of the crop. You could watch Mike Schmidt's breakdowns on Draft Express, right? Now he does more interview stuff and he asks players to break down stuff. But what we don't see is like the pluses and minuses of players what we see now is like a bunch of mixtapes so when you're watching a bunch of mixtapes you don't see that a player disappears for like like two minute stretches all the time in a game Uh, all you see is like his his highlight of him playing defense but what you don't see is the other like 40 possessions where maybe he played defense maybe he was just like waiting for a bus you know, guys, so guys that click off and click back on. And so you see these highlight reels and then you're like, okay, well, that's not the player that I see when I watch him in a game. So I think this is one of the true times where you get to see someone with pressure, um, someone that, you know, sometimes they crumble, sometimes their teammates crumble, but, you know, sometimes they come out victorious and you just keep watching them. And then I think the other thing is what I love about the college tournament is, um, it's the guys that have been grinding for like it used to be four years, but now we have all these six year dudes, five year guys. Like it's this really strange thing. But I love to watch like the big shot by some they're not random, but this is it for them. You know, they're they're a guy who is not gonna make it to the pros and it doesn't matter how many points they scored at the college level or how many threes they hit, they were great. They're just not going to make it to the pros because either they're too slow or too too short or you know whatever it might be. Chris Jenkins on Villanova hit that game okay. winner in uh, UNC against yeah. UNC for the national championship on a team that had a lot of guys going to the NBA. Yeah, I mean, uh, like Keith Smart hit one of the biggest shots in NCAA history. And didn't work out as a pro and, you know, ended up being a coach for the Kings and the Warriors and handful of other. He's still bouncing around as an assistant, I 
think. Um, I, I don't think I saw him this year, but, uh, you know, like there are these guys out there that did something amazing in one game. And so I, I always like to see that. I like to applaud the, like, if you're going to go out as a player, like go over the bang, like go out, like leaving it all out there. And that's what, you know, the, the crazy shots that we've got to see, even a guy like Kyle guy, like how many big shots has Kyle guy hit in his career. And now, you know, can he make it? Can he not? He's hanging on by, you know, like a, a thin margin. He's just barely hanging on. And it's like, you know, I, I enjoyed watching Kyle Guy play in college. Like, that was fun. He He's an exciting player. And so, uh, yeah, the, that's kind of what I like to look for and, like, like pay homage to the 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 guys that uh, that aren't going to get to continue on and, and be NBA players. And even though they're probably twice as good as some of the players that will go ahead of them, uh, they're just never going to get a shot to do it. Yeah, it's definitely an intriguing time. Um, round one is always due for some sort of major upsets as well that make for really fun stories. And I get, um, you know, it's it's just really fun to watch people live some of what are going to be the best moments of their lives. Yeah, isn't so, it? So it it is. Yeah, yeah. There, you're never going to forget that. Like I know, uh, like Bill Cartwright, uh, legendary Bulls center. Um, I think it was Bill Cartwright that said that, uh, like that Elk Grove team that just won. Shout out to Elk Grove or Sean Cunningham's uh, alma mater, Elk Grove High, uh, for winning a state championship. And he said something to the effect that that is going to change every one of those players' lives for, for the rest of their life. That will change the, the rest of their life. Like they're their understanding of what it is to achieve, uh, what it is to like defy odds, like that carries over into every walk of life, not just on the basketball court. And so I, I thought that that was an interesting point. And yeah, it, it, it that's why I, like I'll be planted watching the tournament all day uh, as much as I can. Like hopefully they they won't have shoot around on Friday and we'll get to watch more tournament. Um, so anyway, that that's where I'm at. Uh, Brennan, do you have any final thoughts? I don't. Um, no, I don't think I do, James, actually. Interesting. Um, I'm going to finish with this. Uh, Arco Arena, they're doing like this weird, they're calling it like around the arena, they're calling it a wake for, for Arco Arena. Around Golden One, they're calling it a wake. Um, so if you have time on Saturday, uh, I think you have to go to kings.com and get um, a free ticket. But if you have time on uh, on Saturday to go say goodbye to the old barn, the uh, legendary building of uh, the Sacramento Kings, Arco Two, um, which will be demolished in like the next six months, um, I, I would head out there, say goodbye. Um, I don't think they're giving away seats. I have seats from Arco up, upstairs in our game room, um, but. Uh, yeah, I mean, it would it would be cool to go and, and like, say one last goodbye. I don't know if I'm going to make it or not. Um, car rides seem to not be something that's good for me at this point, and I've got to save that for uh, driving down to Golden 1 on Friday night. And I, we have a game on Sunday too, don't we? Uh, yes, against, I think it's a midday game, two or three against the Suns. Oh, that should be fun. Okay. Yeah, yeah man, that's such a brutal stretch. Such a brutal stretch. Um, outside of that, let me think, um, Kings beat, uh, jump on board premium subscription. So you can get an invite to the happy hour. So you don't get locked out of this weekend's, uh, Sunday musings. 
Um, also, you can find a promo code for the King's Beat merch shop down below. Uh, 15% off. I think it's KBP, all capital letters, P to, that starts the word podcast. So KB podcast is the promo code. Uh, and that will save you 15% off. And we we just did the Fire and Ice shirt. Uh, well, the Fire and Ice sweatshirt, we converted to a t-shirt as well. So that's on there. And that's going to be tremendously popular because the logo is incredible from our good friends, uh, our good friend Jim at at uh, Brickhouse. Um, he's done just amazing work for us over there and we'll continue to pump stuff out there. Um, outside of that, give us a thumbs up. Give us a subscription. Make sure to tune in to Brendan's uh, podcast, which he's been doing much more regularly now and doing a bunch of draft stuff, which I think is spectacular. I watched all of the last one uh, with Bryant uh, West. And so uh, make sure you're tuning into the King's Pulse podcast because, you know, we can just carry you through the week between the King's Beat and the King's Pulse and uh, the King's Beat writing and, and all the stuff that we're doing here. So uh, for Brendan Nunes, I am James Ham. Thanks for tuning in to the King's Beat podcast. We'll see you on Tuesday. As a veteran, I live with health impacts from my service. VA healthcare means you're in 100% control of your own medical care, your own benefits, and it only takes minutes to set up. A veteran should enroll in VA healthcare because it ensures that they get quality, high-level care for the rest of their lives. My service was then, my benefits are now. Get what you earned. Visit choose.va.gov. Not all veterans are eligible for the type or amount of benefits mentioned here.